Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, the resurrection of Jesus. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and, and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray that you would allow these words to come to point to the word just read and the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name, amen. Sean O'Casey was a playwright, he lived in Dublin, and his plays were mostly about the poor lives, poor people in Dublin. He wrote Shadow of a Gunman, Juno and the Paycock, The Plow and the Stars. But the one line that many might remember most that Sean Casey wrote was when he said, all the world's a stage and most of us are desperately unrehearsed. You know, it's true, sometimes someone says, I love you, and that leads to unrehearsed moments. Someone might say to you that they're giving you a promotion and more responsibility than you ever had, and that leads to unrehearsed moments. Someone says we no longer need you, and that leads to other unrehearsed moments. If a doctor says that you will have to learn to live with this pain and how to management, manage it, that leads to unrehearsed moments. If you have children, you'll have a lifetime of unrehearsed moments. You know, we do find ourselves in unrehearsed moments in our lives. I we are living through a completely unrehearsed moment right now. In 52 years, I never thought about a quarantine, but life has unrehearsed moments. The first Easter was one of those moments. It was unrehearsed, unscripted. We have had scripted Easter's and worshiped on Easter Sunday so many times. It feels that we can do this without even thinking. 
Our routine is wake up, go to church, gather with the family for an Easter feast, have all the things on the table that make the Easter meal that it's been like since we were children. If you've got young children, you have an annual Easter egg hunt and Easter baskets, chocolate bunnies and sugar highs. It's all rehearsed, except this year. And maybe that's what we need to hear this year because that first Easter was also unrehearsed. Mary Magdalene arrives at the tomb early that morning and she is grieving. She finds the stone covering the tomb has been rolled away and she believes that the body has been stolen and she runs and she tells the disciples and two of them, Peter and another, go to the tomb. When the other sees it, he believes. He believes the Lord is risen. Peter evidently wasn't as sure. And they run back to the other disciples and there is nothing scripted in any of this. Meanwhile, Mary has returned to the tomb and there she is weeping and this time she looks in and she sees two angels and they hadn't been there before or at least they hadn't been mentioned. And the angels ask her why she is weeping you know, they mustn't have been good angels. You would think that a smart angel would know why she was weeping. Or maybe they were playing a game. Maybe they were very wise. Maybe they knew it's always better to ask someone how they are rather than to tell them. And so Mary tells them why she is weeping. And I love Mary's honesty here. Think about the things that she could have said. She could have said that I have something in my eye. Or, oh, it's nothing how are you doing? She doesn't say either of those things. She tells him that she is weeping because somebody has stolen the body of her Lord. And in saying that she is weeping about a body being stolen, Mary re reveals something about how grief works. Her deep grief, her basic grief is over the death of Jesus. But here she says she's weeping because the body is stolen. There's no doubt that she's upset about the body being stolen, but so often grief works that way. We'll be grieving somebody's death and several weeks or months later, we can't find the car keys and suddenly we're crying over car keys. It's not the keys. It's just that grief resides in us and within us and it looks for ways to express itself. It rises by stealth to express itself in a smaller loss or a setback. And it's also telling that Mary refers to the body of Jesus as the body of her Lord. She's very direct here. I heard a colleague tell a story about a man in his congregation. And the man and some members of his family were driving back to the airport in a rental car after the burial of his mother. And driving along, he said out loud, I'm a man whose mother died. And something told him that that was not quite the whole truth, so he tried it again. I'm a grown man, and my mother died. And then suddenly he heard himself saying a deeper truth. I am a son whose mother died. And that's when it hit him, her death and his grief. Mary's grieving. She knows that it is her Lord who is dead and the body of her Lord who has been taken. 
These are unscripted moments, which is when Jesus shows up and he asks her why she is weeping, but he also asks, who are you looking for? She doesn't recognize him. She supposes that he is the gardener, and it's not surprising. She's looking for the body of a dead Jesus, and here is a risen Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tries to explain that we have these earthly bodies, and then after death, we have these resurrection bodies that are somehow different. In Luke's gospel, two followers of Jesus walk along with Jesus for several hours, and they don't recognize him. So I guess it's not surprising that Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. You see, it's all unscripted, it's all unexpected, it's all unrehearsed. The angels, the gardener, and poor Mary is going through a script with blank pages, which is when Jesus speaks her name, Mary, Mary. And what hits her is that Jesus is alive. This is Easter. This is what our Easter celebration affirms. It is our core belief that Jesus died and was raised to new life. He is risen, risen indeed. Admittedly, it can be hard to figure this out and take it in. You know, usually around this time of the year, articles appear indicating the lack of evidence of things that happen in the Bible. You know, there's no evidence outside of the Bible of many things that are said in the Bible. Some years ago, Robert McAfee Brown wrote a book about reading the Bible. And he made a very help, helpful observation. He said, the statement two plus two equals four is a fact. You can prove it. The statement, I love you, is a truth. You cannot prove you love someone. Taking the garbage out every Wednesday night might help, but it's not proof. You know, the Bible is a book of truth. It tells the truth about God. It tells the truth about human nature. It tells the truth about what happens to us when we stray away from the presence of God. It tells the truth about what happens to us when we bring ourselves into life and the blessings of God. We say Christ is risen, and that is a truth. And it is the most glorious and radiant truth that we have. Jesus is alive. And Mary discovers that not only is Jesus alive, but he has come to seek her. He's not alive and off on some cloud. He is standing right beside her. In Luke's gospel, there are three parables right next to each other. One is about a son who leaves, leaves home. He lives carelessly and realizes that he had better return home. And when he arrives back at home, his father throws a feast and welcomes him. Another one is about a shepherd who has lost a hundred sheep who has a hundred sheep and it loses one and goes after the one that is lost. And the last one is a parable about a poor woman who loses a silver coin. And the parable of the son tells us that when we realize that we need to return to God, that we will be welcomed. The parable about the lost sheep tells us that when we are stuck and we cry out as a lamb would do, the Lord will come after us. But I love the parable of the lost coin because the parable of the lost coin tells us that when we are lost and cannot return, when we're lost in some hole of our life and we can't call out, when we're like that coin, lost and not even knowing it, lost and not returning, just lost, even then the fingers of God are reaching for us and searching for us. You know, Mary was lost. And Jesus came to Mary 
And when Jesus spoke her name, it was his way of reaching out to her in her lostness. He knows her. He knows her better than she even knows herself. You know, so many people think that Mary Magdalene was this racy woman, but that's a movie version of her. All the Bible says about her was that she was once possessed by demons, and Jesus cured her. There's no mention of what the demons were. Jesus knows Mary and knows that at this moment in her life, she is completely confused and bewildered. She's going from grief to joy so fast that it it must have made her life spin. She's lost and doesn't know what to do. And Jesus just stands there with her, none of her faltering, none of her confusion, nothing is held against her. And he draws her into his fellowship. Tears and confusion all fading, all the grief is gone all at once. You know, it's like a parent who hears a child crying in the night. The parent's tired, tired from work, tired from being a parent. But the cry of a child is irresistible. And so the parent gets up, goes down a dark hallway, and enters into a room with a nightlight on. And we sit beside the bed and gather up the shoulders and the head and the pillows and the blankets and a stuffed animal all in the mix. And says sweet things and sings a lullaby. It's all right. It's all right, it's all right. You know, words of assurance don't explain away the horrors of the nightmare or the frightening sounds, but they are reassuring nevertheless. It's amazing how reassuring in all kinds of circumstances is a loving, strong, and loyal presence. And that's another image for us today. In the midst of all of our fears and horrors of all that is going on, Know that Jesus is resurrected. Know that our God is loving and strong and loyal. And then Jesus gives Mary a mission. She'd probably have loved to stay in that garden with Jesus forever, but he tells her that she cannot hold on to him. He says, go and tell my brothers. Just a side note here, I want you to notice that the first preacher of the resurrection is a woman. The first Christian minister is a woman, Mary. Back to the story. Jesus tells her to go to my brothers, and he means the disciples. He means the disciples that ran off and left him in the night of his arrest. He could have said, go tell those jerks, or go tell those guys who dropped me. But he doesn't. Instead, he calls them his brothers. You know, Jesus knows that there is a gulf between he and them. And it's because of their desertion. It's a gulf that is wider for them because of their own shame. And it's a gulf that he is willing to step all the way across. Because he wants to stand with them. That can describe us sometimes, can't it? We drop the ball so often. We drop it in life. We drop it in faith. We drop it in the church. And Jesus is always willing to call us brothers and sisters and disciples. In a way, Mary was right. Jesus is a gardener. In that sacred story at the very beginning of the Bible, we are told of a place called the Garden of Eden. It's a place where people live in harmony with God and with each other, and God sends Jesus to us to be the gardener, the one who restores our fellowship in harmony with God. 
John himself remembered some of these things that Jesus had talked about during his ministry. He tells us in his gospel that Jesus once called himself light and a gardener needs light. And John tells us that Jesus would prune his followers so that they would bear more fruit and a gardener prunes his plants so that they can grow. And John tells us once that Jesus said that he had living water to give and a gardener needs water for the plants to grow. In the same way, Jesus becomes the gardener for our life, bringing life to us, bringing life to us, pruning us when we need to be pruned. And he does this in completely unexpected, unrehearsed, unscripted ways that will help us grow. So Christ tells us also, go and tell my brothers and sisters, do something unexpected. Go and tell your brothers and sisters of the love of Christ. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus commissions the disciples to go, to make disciples, to baptize. Friends, we are followers of the risen Savior, Jesus the Christ. And our Savior tells us to share this good news with others. You know, I know that we can't do this in person because we are not with each other this morning, but there is a little comment field on your Facebook post. And I am sure you know the responsive words to this. I invite those of you here to shout it out when I say it. And you online, please type it in. Friends, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen.